Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Hey everybody, welcome to my last Brazen Education podcast episode of 2020. I know a lot of you have been asking like where I've been. I think probably my last episode was in October, uh, but as you guys know, we're living in the pandemic. I've been super, super busy. I had surgery earlier this month, and so I just decided to wait until the end of December to go ahead and wrap things up. And in true fashion, today's show is just about wrapping up 2020. So what I'll do is take you through my year of t- in 2020, um, what I've learned, how I reflected, and how I plan to move forward into 2021. Because if you haven't figured this out already, not much is going to change when we transition from December 31st, 2020 to January 1st, 2021. Well, actually, for my sister, she'll make a transition. My sister is a New Year's baby, so she will uh, have a birthday on January 1st. And fun fact about my sister, she was the first um, baby born the year that she was born. I won't put her age out here on the Internet um, for Indianapolis. So we have a couple of pictures of her in the newspaper. So for her, she'll uh, get a year older. For, but for most of us, things will mostly stay the same. I feel like 2020 is going to be a year that we're going to talk about for uh, generations to come. And I feel like if this is a story that we're going to repeat over and over, we have to have like a good opening statement or maybe that's just the English teacher in me. And so if I was going to retell this story, I think I would have something to the effect of, you know, we all had 2020 vision. Because when I think about January, even when I went to church, it's like we're going to have 2020 vision. We're going to see clearly in 2020. There was a lot of talk about that. But honestly, um, little did we know um, what was actually coming ahead. Um, so, So if I had an opening line, it would be something like this. But the main thing that happened at the beginning of 2020 is that I was in my first year as a school administrator. So uh, for the 2019-2020 school year, I transitioned out of the classroom and to a middle school academic dean. Um, A lot of people, including my own children, have no clue what that actually means. So in my particular school, you have a principal. We don't have an assistant principal, but we have academic deans and we have a dean of culture. My principal does not supervise teachers. That's what um, we do. Um, So all the deans, we break up the staff. We supervise them so I can hire teachers. I can let teachers go. I coach teachers. I evaluate them. And I co-lead our middle school because my building is K through eight. And if I knew there was going to be a pandemic, I don't know if the 2019-2020 school year would have been the one I would have hopped into administration. But on the other hand, it was an opportunity to really put what I learned in my admin classes and what I've learned um, from previous administration, previous administrators, both good and bad. Because I always say, even if you had an administrator that wasn't so great, you can learn at least what not to do. Uh, so things that I've learned and I tried to apply them to this, to that school year, rather. 
everything was just, we were all flying by the seat of our pants trying to figure out what to do. School buildings closed abruptly, but school continued. And one um, aspect I've been really critical on is saying that school buildings closed. Um, schools did not close. We kept this machine going, whether it was falling apart, the wheels were coming off, we kept it moving forward. Um, uh, first year in administration and then you know, having the fourth quarter essentially be virtual. Um, that was tough because I'm new. I was new to my role. I was still trying to build strong relationships with my team. And, you know, I had to make some tough decisions about like who's going to carry on with us into the next school year. And then at my school as a whole, we had teachers that, you know, this pandemic during the 2019, 2020 school year was like, I'm done. I'm done with either with this school. I'm done with education. I just need to do something else. And having all those things in mind, those were the things I kept in mind moving into this school year, the 2020-21 school year. Um, what I learned is that I'm tougher than I, I thought. There were several things that happened during my first year of administration, um, including um, me being harassed and being bullied. Um, person who did it admitted to it. So this is not me claiming this happened. This is that person's own words um, saying that they did that to me. Um, so that was tough to deal with. But I'll talk a little bit later about um, thriving during adversity. So I'll get into a little bit of that later. So you had that happen. And then you had the summertime that came around. And it was clear at that point in time that schools were going to continue. We're going to have next school year. But what were your options? I currently live in Washington Township. It's one of the, uh, the 11 school districts in Indy for my non-Indy followers. And our school district decided to reopen 100% remote. So we didn't have an option. I was completely fine with that option because during the summer, I learned there was something going on with my health. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So for me, it was in the best interest of our family just to keep everyone at home. And between my husband and I, we both could work remotely from time to time at our home. So that all worked out for our children, sort of. We have identical twins, and I always say, and if you are a teacher listening or a minister listening, um, this is something I really want to get across. When it comes to pa uh, parents of multiples, they should always have the decision. They should always have the choice when it comes to whether their kids should be together or separated. You may think you know best because you've had multiples in your class before, but the the real facts are you don't know those sets of multiples and each set of multiples have their own needs and children sh uh, should have their parents decide not to school. Luckily, my children's school, they gave, gave us the option. Um, some of you know a little bit of our story. Our kids were together for pre-K three. They were together for the first semester of pre-K four, separated to two different preschools. I won't get into the why of that. I actually wrote about the why of that earlier this week when I talked about um, black gifted education. So go to ND.education to read more about that. Kindergarten, they were separated. First grade, they were separated. Second grade, they were back together. Third grade, they were separated. But for fourth grade, because we knew they were going to be 100% remote, we decided to put our sons together in one class. There was a few reasons for this. When we transitioned to remote learning last school year, their teachers had two different styles and two different levels of how they perceived remote learning should go. One we felt was good and competent in what she was doing, and the other one we did not. And so for us, we didn't want to deal with two different teachers, two different styles, and we had the luxury of having children in the same grades. So we decided to put our kids in the same class so we would have one teacher, uh, one style. So that was the first quarter. And then after fall break, Washington Township decided to bring elementary back 
in person if parents chose to do so. And then the secondary school, I don't know. I read it, but since I have no kids in middle school, I didn't like internalize it. I know they weren't going every single day. So they were on the hybrid schedule. My husband and I decided to keep our kids remote. And that was a tough decision because we didn't have information. So many parents, it was not just Washington, you had to email like this from your district. Tell us what do you want to do in person or remote learning. But what they didn't tell you is based on the option you chose, whether or not your children would switch teachers or not, you had to blindly decide. And for me, that was tough. This school year was the first year when our kids were in elementary school where they had a black teacher and representation matters. But what was most important to me is that during the summer, their teacher won a black excellence education award. So not only is she a black teacher, but she's black and excellent. Right. So for us, making this decision to keep our kids remote could have meant they were switching to another teacher. But because of my health, we decided to stick with that. Luckily, um, their teacher ended up being the remote teacher for fourth grade. So they didn't switch teachers. But I also felt sad for the kids that were in my son's class because my sons missed some of those students that were in their class. There are classmates that chose to go back in person because their teacher stayed the remote teacher for the grade. They actually switched teachers. And so that's the other part of the pandemic. Even though online learning isn't perfect, there is some bonding online. And so when parents switch their options and, te- and kids potentially switch teachers, now you're having to rebond, refit into another section, refit and, and learn a new another teacher's style. And granted, there were some things that the district tried to norm to keep the same, but teachers are different, the point blank period. So they had to adjust. And later this month, we have to decide again um, how our district is doing it. If you want to If you want to keep the option you have, you do nothing. If you want to change your option, you have to do something. We have decided, um, actually, like as of last night, that we're going to keep our kids remote because we know that their teacher is the remote teacher for their grade. And we switched them to in-person. That means their teacher will switch. And to us, it's more important for them to stay with the teacher they've connected with, stay with the classmates that they have now connected with because some of them are new because some of their parents switched them to remote or they they were remote in the other class and then their teacher wasn't a remote teacher. So they're now in my son's class. So that was that. But as I said, my health was a determining factor for why we kept our kids remote. As many of my uh, followers and supporters know, I struggle with infertility. It's something I've been pretty public about um, in the last few years. When I was first diagnosed, I was really private about it because I'm a person that sometimes people see as an overachiever or a person that hit makes a goal and wants to hit that mark. When you deal with infertility, there's not it doesn't matter how hard you try. Sometimes you don't get what you want. And for someone like me, that's hard to deal with. It's hard to cope with knowing that you want something and you can't get it. Um, So all the infertility treatments I did up until I had my sons failed. Um, the treatment I did when I, for my sons clearly worked, but every infertility treatment we did after we had our sons failed. So if you look at it from my husband and I's perspective, every single time, except one time, it failed. And I mean, we were on that journey for five years. But what people many times forget, like infertility is not just about like your inability or your struggle to have children. Having the conditions affects your everyday life. So I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome 
and endometriosis. If you don't know what endometriosis is, it's like when the lining of your uterus is like can be anywhere else inside of your body. There's different levels of it. So there's like stage one, two, three, and four. And I also have fibroid tumors on top of that. And some of this stuff, like I have people in my family that dealt with that. So you could say it's heredity. Um, um, but um, it was just hard to deal with because once I got my diagnosis, we were really able to track back that I had really been dealing with some of this chronic pain since I was a teenager. So you're talking about like a good chunk of my life has been dealing with um, these conditions. Um, these conditions caused uh, me to have a great pain, great discomfort, and it really interfered with my everyday life. And so there's different things you can have done. I was on medication. I had to switch my diet. I've had my endometriosis removed more than one time. I've had fibers removed more than one time. And don't you know, it It just came back with a freaking vengeance. So I had about uh, by the time I turned 33, that was the last time I did my uh, we did infertility treatments and be it good or be it bad. I got my last you know, you know, failed pregnancy test on my birthday. And what was interestingly enough, based on when we did the treatment, the doctor called and said, well, we're going to tell you on August 30th. I said, oh, that's my birthday. And she offered to tell me on August 31st. So if it, you know, didn't turn out the way we wanted it, I wouldn't be devastated. And I said, no, tell me on my birthday because I'll spend my whole birthday thinking about it. They called me early this morning. And normally if you do infertility treatment, normally how it goes if it works, the nurse calls you, right? And they tell you and you move forward. But if it doesn't work, the actual doctor calls you. And when I heard the doctor's voice, I already knew that it didn't work. And I told my husband, I'm done. Like I can't, I can't mentally or emotionally deal with this anymore. So when I 33 and I made a decision to be done with that, that's when I could start doing more aggressive treatment plans. And so I've had some procedures done and some of the procedures I have done, like it's like not advisable to get pregnant. Now, me, I didn't believe I could get pregnant without infertility treatment. So it wasn't a big deal. So about for three ish years, I was fine. And then the pandemic happened around April. I started being like uncomfortable, but I just kept brushing it off to the fact that I'm working remotely. I'm sitting down all day and some days I would literally plop in front of my computer and be there all day long. And then I and then if I went outside, it would do something with my uh, garden. And that was it. And so for me, I just kept thinking. You know, it's just me not being as active as I used to be. But then the summer came around and and I said, you know what, let me go to my doctor. It was time for my annual checkup. I said, I'm just going to go see her and I'm going to talk to her. And she's like, I want you to go get an ultrasound. So I go, I come back for another appointment to get an ultrasound. And mind you, I've had so many procedures, so many tests. I get in there and this is like June or July. I get in there and I see the lady circle, this big old circle on the screen. And I was like, that's a daggone fibro and it's huge. And I and then she wrote FIB, the abbreviation for fibro. So I told the lady, I said, this isn't good. Now, the ultrasound tech, her job is not to talk to me about like the results. That's the doctor's job. So she kept saying, you know, um, you, know, you just have to discuss that with the doctor. I'm sitting here like, lady, do you know how many fibroids I've had and how many I've had removed? I know what's going on here. So I'll go back and see the doctor. And then she like takes out a little piece of paper and she draws my uterus. And it was like, there's my uterus. And there's like this big fiber. I'm like, that's like my whole uterus. That's not good. And so at this point in time, we really had the conversation about having a hysterectomy. Because at this point in time, I'm 37. 
from 33 to 37, I committed to like, I'm not doing any more infertility treatments. I'm not trying to have any more kids. Uh, my husband and I, we were on the adoption list for two years for DCS. Um, that's a whole other process. And we actually, uh, after two years, we didn't renew um, to do it for another two years because they changed some of the rules. Our kids, when they were interviewed, um, they said they did not want siblings older than them. And so DCS said, if you weren't going to foster to adopt, you couldn't be considered for kids who were under 10. And so for us, once we learned that after the two years happened, we just came off of the list because our kids are currently nine. And so that just doesn't work for our family. And we didn't want to foster to adopt. We just wanted to adopt um, because because I'm an administrator, my husband's an administrator, his role. We just didn't know how that would work for our family um, life. So I had to sit there and think about the fact like it's 2020 and I'm about to have a hysterectomy during a pandemic. And when I told my parents about it, my dad was like, you really got to do this like right now. Like you're really actually going to do this. And so I, I said to my dad and when I thought about it, could I have probably done it year prior? Yeah. Had I thought about doing the year prior? Yeah. But I was just like, I'll just put it off because I'm OK. But what people don't understand, you may get medicine to treat the pain of your condition, but it doesn't mean that your condition is just dormant. My condition was not dormant. So now I get this great anxiety because to get the surgery, I have to test negative for COVID-19. So in July, I, I, I agree to have this surgery and then I'm supposed to get these injections to help shrink the fibroids. But because of the pandemic and some other things that were happening, the medication that I needed was not available. On top of that, the medication was really expensive. And although I had the money to pay for the medication, I'm like, now I have to pay for this expensive medication and it's not available. I only was able, I was supposed to get one shot and one injection a month to help shrink the fibroids from July all the way up through December. Because of the um, medicine not being available and they, they went to different pharmacies. By the time the medicine was available, it was November. So I got one shot in November. I went ahead and, and paid for the shot because paying for the shot had us hit our deductible, which meant that the surgery was going to not be that much, which was great for us. But that whole entire time I had anxiety. Uh, my schedule at first was being on campus every other day. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I was on campus in person. And then on in the morning, and then Tuesday and Thursday, I was on campus in the afternoon in person. Now, mind you, at this time, our middle school, our fifth through our middle school's fifth through eighth grade, they were 100% remote up until fall break. After fall break, we bought up at the fifth grade. So it really didn't matter if I was on campus or not. But because most of my teachers were working remotely from the campus, I wanted to be on campus too, just to uh, just in solidarity for our lack of a better explanation. But then with my husband and remind you, my kids are still doing school at home remotely. And my husband and I were rotating our schedule around our kids, but I really wasn't working. And then when the people on my husband's team had to go back uh, to India because there um, someone in his family was not well. And that left a big gap in my husband's uh, team. And that made more work for him. So I went back to my school and said, hey, can I switch my remote schedule? So then my remote schedule switched to being on campus Wednesday in the morning and then Thursday in the afternoon. I was not on campus at any other time. I was just working remotely. And that worked out well. I made sure I got up every single morning. I was in somebody's advisory class because I didn't want any of my teachers to assume that I was just at home, like drinking lemonade. I wanted them to know I'm here. So I was constantly in classes, I'm doing observations, um, 
making myself 100% available to meet with teachers to show that I was there. But I still had the pain. So through this whole school year, I have been dealing with discomfort. Um, and a lot of times my team, my team was starting to be aware of it because I would be on Zoom and I couldn't sit down. So I had to stand up. I was uncomfortable staying up. So I started walking while I was on Zoom. And so my team would ask me all the time, are you OK, Shantae? Are you OK? And, I, and what can I say? I was not OK, but I had to keep working. And when you have chronic pain, some of the medications that you can't take that make you feel better makes you drowsy. So I couldn't take the medication that was going to alleviate the pain during the school day. Um, because uh, last thing you want someone to think is that you're just inebriated on Zoom and <laughs> you're at home like this sipping wine or something. So I would always wait to the evening um, to take this um, to take my medication to feel better. So I had this anxiety about not being able to have my surgery. I was anxious about people not thinking I was working hard enough because I was working at home more than I was previously. And I was uncomfortable and I was in pain. And so I had to deal with all of these different things uh, when it came to my health and I had to take it seriously. But on top of that, so and we're still in the summer, right? Because that's when I got, you know, the made a decision for the hysterectomy. Then you have what I've been referring to social justice, get woke summer. And why I say get woke summer, because that's when everyone was putting up like the little black fist. I'm anti-racist. I support Black Lives Matter. And for me, that was hard because I would say my circle includes a diverse group of people. Uh, people that are heterosexual, people that are homosexual, people who are believers in God, people that are questioning the existence of God, people who are black, people who are white, people who are Latino, people who are indigenous, people who are from India. I have different people in my circle. But what was interesting is that some people in my circle kind of got more vocal and I had never heard that from them before. So I don't know for me, I was starting to question, was this guilt or were you really, really down for the cause, as they say? Um, so it really allowed me to have some uh, conversations that was necessary. But it also uh, allowed me to know that despite what's happening, I could thrive. As I said earlier, one of the things that happened during my first year of being administrator was just having some conflict at work um, with harassment and bullying. Um, I've said earlier, I ended up um, making an official complaint, which I never thought I would do. And I had no intention of doing. I had confided in our HR person about what's happening. I told her I didn't want her to do anything. I just wanted somebody to know because I'm good. Right. Um, that year, I was my, in my fourth year of education. And I always tell people, whether you're in the rural Indiana suburbs or in the urban in Indianapolis, like racism happens no matter where you are. Harassment can happen no matter where you are. So you have to make up your mind. Can I overcome and thrive in this environment or do I need to walk? I never judge anybody for walking because I have walked. But at this point in year 14, I was like, hell no, I'm not leaving over this. So I made a complaint. In the meantime, um, I wrote about um feeling emotionally unsafe at work. And I was probably the most insider viewpoint that I did while being an administrator. And I, I stand by what I wrote. And I wrote a follow-up piece about getting into good trouble because that piece triggered people to report me to HR. Long story short, nothing actually happened to me. Um, what I was told is that they would be watching what I wrote. Um, and I also learned that um, a person that was in human resources followed 
our um, NDK 12 website actually signed up. If you sign up for our website, you get emailed every time you rewrote something. And so oh, I'm just like, is this this what it's coming to? Okay, it is what it is. I'm not shifting what I'm saying because you're watching me now. Um, so it's just like, and um, you know, whatever. Stuff was public on the internet. And I will say any job I've had since I've been an education writer, I put it on my resume, I send them a link on my website and it's not updated at the moment. Uh, I typically have all my articles posted. I think I have everything posted through maybe early November. Um, so that's from, I believe January, 2017 through November, 2020. Anything I've ever written education wise is on my website, every article links. I always give that to a job and say, look, this is who I am. This is what I write about. This is what I believe. If you find anything I've written problematic or you think this is not gonna work, let me know from because what I would hate to do is take a job and then people are like, oh, you can't say that. Or people want to police what I write. And I make it very clear, like no one's going to police what I write. So I'm going to and but I'm mindful. Like, for example, I am an administrator. I do supervise people. Right. So I never want a teacher to feel like they're going to end up in a piece because I'm their administrator. So I really kept a lot of my writing when it came to education to things that happened to me previously or things that were general about literacy. But when I wrote the piece about feeling emotionally unsafe at work, um, which you'll find out later this week, it is actually one of our top pieces for 2020. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which number because we're doing a slow countdown <laughs> through the uh, through the remainder of 2020. Um, a lot of people praised it. A lot of people wrote to me and I wrote back to every single person. I even had people from Africa that wrote to me about what I wrote because they said, it made them feel seen. It made them feel heard. And I validated that it's hard to be in certain workspaces, especially in education, because you have schools that say they believe in equity. Um, they understand what microaggressions, racial microaggressions are. Um, they understand what it may be like to be the only black person or one of the few at the school, but then they don't defend you or support you. So all of that happened. I had... Um, People at the school say that my writing was causing um, the climate at the school not to be positive. I have people that said my writing was toxic. Um, and what was interesting, and then I have people that said that how I write is the wrong way to go about talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti racism. And one of the things I like to remind people when you're tone policing, because that's what you're doing, and you can read, so you want to talk about race. There's a whole nice little part of that book where they talk about that. When you are focusing on tone policing instead of the message of what's being said, then what you're really saying is, I don't really care about what you said. I don't care that you're not emotionally safe. I don't care if you're not okay in this environment. I don't care if these things are happening to you because that's, I don't want to deal with it. And so for me, it was important for me to push back and I pushed back hard. And um, I was sitting in a PD, I kid you not, and I get an email um, that says that they wanted to have a meeting about what I wrote. And I actually sent a voice audio because I was like, I'm not even gonna write this. And I'm like, I want you to understand so you can hear the tone of my voice. And I sent a voice audio back and I said, this is unacceptable, I'm sitting here in uh, a PD and you think it's appropriate to send me this this message and then right when after the message and the message was sent on a lunch break and after I came back I had to sit in, in this room and do this little activity where we were supposed to bond right and <laughs> in true Shantae form I came back and I said uh, you had to share something that was important to you 
I held up a diary, a, a book in my house. And I said, what's important to me is the words that I write and the things that I say, they matter. And I talked about being a writer um, because the person that sent the email was right there in that call. So I need you to know, like, this is not okay. So let me, let me show you um, what's important to me. Um, so we had a conversation about it and I made it very clear. I stand by what I wrote that this environment is not emotionally safe for people that look like me and the the organization needs to do better. And I challenge them to do better. I will say that my school is now mandating racial equity training for the whole school. Um, and that's something I actually fought for. When we were told that we could have racial equity training, I was gonna send my entire team. And then I was told I could not. So I was able to send a third of them. And my team was upset because I didn't start doing DEI work because the summer happened. I have been having these conversations with people on my team, even the previous school year. But this year I was more intentional. I will say because of what happened this summer, I wanted to make sure I was more intentional about what I was doing and the why behind it. So I tightened up what I was doing. So when my team found out they all couldn't go, they were upset. Um, but then um, our um, executive director had talked about the training in one of his video messages. So then it changed to if you want to send your whole team, you can so I did send, I did send up my whole team and I'm on medical leave right now. So when I return um, from medical leave, all my team will have attended the racial equity training. And I've attended it previously um, already, but I, I, I'm thinking about attending it again because I think you can never attend it um, too many times. And so I said up my whole team, I had a conversation to talk to other, to other administrators in my building. They're like, well, aren't you worried about pushback? And, and my whole thing is, you all know I said that there's things that are happening in this environment that aren't okay. And so if we're not going to send people to a training because we are scared that they're not going to like it, then they're not the right fit for our school. And for me, that's the stance that I want any school that I work in to have. Um, but I learned, uh, but I did learn that now it has shifted from, because I was the only admin that has signed up um their entire team. I was only admin in my building because I told my team, you're going like, if you're on my team, you don't have an option. And if you don't like it and you don't like this stuff, then we maybe we need to have a conversation. Now, granted, there's nobody on my team that didn't want to go. So I didn't have that, that issue because I was really intentional about my hiring to make sure I was getting people, not necessarily people that are like-minded. Cause when we had these conversations, we've done a, um, over the course of this school year, we've done a race in the classroom conversation. Uh, a professional development of uh, three sessions of it. And we all did not agree in these conversations. So it's not like, oh, I want to agree with everything Shantae says, but I there are some fundamental things I want you to kind of bring to the table. Uh, but now I learned um, that um, it has shifted to everyone gets to go. And the reason I'm sharing this is because what would have happened if I, just because I got harassed or bullied or people said the way I advocate was toxic or if I wasn't positive, if I just would have left my school and bounced, maybe this wouldn't have happened. I don't know. But for me, right now I'm thriving. And and the other thing I like to point out that feels so good, like in previous roles, like I, another um, article I wrote for NUK 12, which is also in our top 10, is about my experience working in Brownsburg. And that was right out of the college as a suburb or indie. And I just talked about like, the being told I was affirmative action hire, um, all the, the things that happened to me while I was there. And I left. And then later in my career, I had another situation and I left. And I'm like, this time, I'm like, no. 
at some point, I'm just like, I'm not going to get up and leave because you want to act a fool, because you want to mistreat me. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do great and I want to thrive in your presence. And so I have actually been thoroughly enjoying just being my full, authentic self uh, in the presence of people who don't necessarily like what I'm about and like what I stand for. And uh, and maybe it takes maturity, maybe it takes growth, but that's something I've grown in. It's like sometimes you don't need to run away from situations. Sometimes you need to stay in situations because it shows other people how to press for it. And it also shows you what you're made of. And so during 2020, I learned that I can thrive in the presence of adversity. Um, so that is something that uh, and it actually wasn't as hard as I thought it would be because I just kept being me. And when I came back, the one thing I told myself, I said, because I got this award. Um, <laughs> my school does this like paper plate award. And it's kind of like superlative, you know, like in high school, it's like best smile or best whatever. Um, so you're supposed to pick these little awards. Everyone had to do them. I did them for my team. I would say for my team, I think seven of the nine of seven. Well, the majority of them majority of them were like academic tied. I tried to tie the classroom environment. And I think one person I did about like these um, treats that she always made because I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and it was really meaningful to our team. But the one I got um, went on Zoom at the end of the year was the straight face award because no one know, knows exactly what Shantae is thinking before she says it. And that was like the worst ever acknowledgement I've gotten in my whole entire career. And I kid you not, because I'm sitting here on Zoom and that's what's said about me. And when I listen to what was said about everyone else, not that I was in a competition with everyone else, but I'm like, I've been here for a whole entire school year. And the best you could come up with is the straight face award. Like that's the best you could come up with. Um, not about like my goals that I've met, not about how I coach teachers, not about how it's helping change mindsets. It's about almost like about my personality. And so when I came back this school year, I said, you're going to know what I'm thinking. <laughs> and you're probably not going to like it. That's, that's okay. I'm going to be more bold. I'm going to be more vocal. I'm not going to hold myself back because I don't ever want to be acknowledged in that way uh, ever again, because that's not okay. And the other thing that bothers me when we do shout outs and acknowledgements in schools many times, we're not focused on the things that should matter, like academics and strong relationships with students. We are shouting out people for silly things like, oh, thanks for giving me coffee at Starbucks. No, like it really should be something meaningful, like, wow, you met that goal or, uh, you know, all your kids are always happy to go into your class and kids are enjoying learning. That's the kind of stuff I want educators to be shouted out for. And I posted this on my Facebook page earlier today. I also want us, when we walk into 2021, I'm just going to add that. I know I'm not there yet. When we walk into 2021, I want us to abandon praising teachers doing stuff they have no business doing. And what I mean by that, teachers who are not taking care of themselves. I saw an article about a teacher teaching from the hospital remotely, and she ended up on the news. Like if I end up on the news for being a teacher, I don't want to be on the news because I'm teaching from my hospital bed. I want to be on the news because I changed lives or I helped a, a student um, change their life or something like that. I don't want to be on the news because I work during the pandemic in a hospital bed. That's the type of stuff that we're praising educators for. And we're making that the norm because the other thing I know, thinking about be supervising teachers. 
And a minister had to allow that foolishness. I'm going to call it foolishness. No administrator should allow someone in the hospital to remotely teach, even if the person wanted to do it. That administrator should have said, no, you are in the hospital. You need to take care of yourself. You have a family. And maybe if their family is just their cat, like your cat needs you to come back and be fully present. So I need you not to be teaching on Zoom. Um, so those are some of the things that are not OK. But. One of the things I decided to do during the pandemic was enter into therapy. And that was the thing that kind of helped me get through because I had um, real anxiety. And I actually got official diagnosed. I got diagnosed with anxiety um, during the pandemic. And what was interestingly enough, I had talked to a therapist some years back. And this therapist wasn't my therapist. The therapist was someone else I knew. But I was there at this appointment. And the therapist said, I think you probably have anxiety. And I was like, and I kind of just kind of shrugged it off, kind of like, first of all, I'm not even at this appointment for you to be diagnosing me. <laughs> so don't even come out here talking about you have anxiety. I was like, I do not. I'm, I'm like, I get all this stuff done. I'm organized. I'm efficient. I do not have anxiety. Like I was just, I was just like annoyed and agitated only to get into therapy and to be told like I have anxiety. <laughs> Uh, but what people don't, don't understand, anxiety takes different forms. You have people who have crippling anxiety where they can't do something. Or you have people do, who have high function anxiety. And I kind of consider myself as a high function anxiety because people wouldn't necessarily think I have anxiety. But my brain, if you can see inside my brain, so my brain is just like, ah, <laughs> I have all these thoughts. Um, and some of the things that, that was going on with me is like I couldn't sleep. I kept waking up thinking about I'm going to test positive for uh, the coronavirus and I can't get my surgery. And I don't have to deal with this pain for month and month longer. I kept thinking about if someone else in my family was going to get it. I kept thinking about how am I going to get all of this work done because I had to go on leave for six weeks. You know, who's going to be taking care of my teachers? Who's going to be watching over my students? All this stuff literally kept waking me up. So which is why I didn't do a podcast episode for November, because November is when it got really bad. And I was sleeping about two to three hours a night, uh, which is horrible. And I was just doing all this stuff. And mind you, I'm also in a doctoral program right now. So on top of that, I was trying to get my uh, research proposal approved by the, um, in, the internal uh, review board. And let me tell you, those people are tough. At one point, I'm like, what do y'all want? A pint of blood? Hair from my firstborn child? Because I keep sending this research proposal in, and you just keep sending it back with revisions and corrections and explain this more. So on top of that, my research proposal kept getting kicked back. And I'm not even going to tell y'all how many times it got kicked back. But at one point, I took about three weeks off from even resubmitting it because I was so mad that it kept getting sent back and and then it would be like i would fix something right and then there would be another section they would want me to fix but that section was fine the last time i sent in but now you got problems with it so whatever but thank the lord <laughs> my proposal is approved so in 2021 i can start collecting data and i can start conducting research so i'm super um excited about that but what therapy allowed me to do is really think about the year thus far think about things i need to change uh, one of the things I've been working on is having a bedtime for myself and going to bed. Um, that's been really hard for me because typically I just work. I write. I edit other people. So I edit. 
Um, I may be thinking about a podcast episode. I may be on someone else's podcast. Um, and speaking about that, tomorrow I will be on the Recess podcast um, with David McGuire. He's the host. And David is one of my colleagues for NEK 12. And it's actually an NEK 12 takeover. So it will be David, uh, myself, and Andrew Pillow, who's also one of our wonderful NEK 12 writers. So if you tune in, uh, if you go to my Facebook page tomorrow, I believe it's 7 p.m. We're going to be uh, live. You can see us all. And we're going to talk about the year in uh, review with NEK 12 and this with education. But there was a lot of things I accomplished in therapy this year. One of the things I accomplished was getting rid of my kids' baby clothes. And that may sound like a silly thing, but we had held on to all these tubs because we thought the infertility treatments were going to work. But then when they didn't work, we're like, oh, we'll get to adopt. And, we and after two years, that didn't work out. But I couldn't, for some reason, just get rid of the stuff. Um, so I talked that through and I just... What I ended up doing was taking a few items that belonged to my boys, putting it in a small box. And then, as some of you know, if you follow my Facebook page, I posted all the stuff on Facebook. And I was able to give my kids stuff away to like five wonderful um, women who were able to use it. And something remarkable happened. I want to tell you about this one woman I met. because I met all the women at the Starbucks across the street from my um, children's school. And the one woman, she came to get the clothes, but they weren't for herself. They were for her ex's um, new baby mama. And I and she was telling me, she said, you know, at the end of the day, that kid is going to be my kid's half sibling. And I want that kid to be OK. And she's really struggling. And for me, I, I was just really impressed and just um, I was really impressed by her. That That's like that's being like a real class act woman um, to think about your ex's new person, new, um, I don't know what the relationship, I guess girlfriend, baby's mother, I don't know what they were calling each other, but think enough of her to actually come get these clothes for me to give it to this woman. Cause she said, that's my child's half sibling and I want that child to be well taken care of. And so it was just nice to meet all the different women to get this stuff away. And I thought I was going to be like sad about it. But when I came home, it was like a burden that was lifted because what was, what was happening was Every single time I walked into my basement, I was seeing this and I was just reliving the failure all over again. So to have this stuff out of my house, to have a small keepsake box that I can put away somewhere that I don't have to look at all the time. It was really a nice way to kind of move forward. The other thing I've been talking about in therapy is about what I'm going to do in 2021. Earlier, I mentioned about I wrote about my experience in Brownsburg, but that actually turned out to be a wonderful thing. The post went viral um, and for the most part, it was well received. I did get some some hate mail and I had somebody write to me anonymously. And I'm pretty sure somebody that I used to work with because they wouldn't everybody else that had a positive or just like, thanks for sharing. They, they told me their name. They told me who they were. I even had a former student that wrote to me, which that was probably my favorite um, response. But it's like. No, you don't get to come on here and be anonymous and then tell me everything was fine. Yeah, no, nah, move on, over. But because of that, I was able to connect with students, current students for Brownsburg. I was able to speak to their group, which is Future Leaders of Tomorrow. I had a couple of them on my show, Ed Gems, uh, through the Indianapolis Recorder. And I'm going to go back and speak to them in the spring. But interestingly enough, just through that and just talking about some of my experiences, 
I've had a couple um, school districts um, that are suburban reach out to me about employment for next school year. And I talked about this in therapy with my therapist. And I said, I'm just conflicted. I said, at this point in my career, I don't think I would have a problem working in rural Indiana. And I actually student taught in rural Indiana. And it was actually an excellent experience. Uh, Mr. Moser, that was my uh, supervising teacher, teacher. He is an excellent teacher at uh, Frontier Junior Senior High School in Chalmers, Indiana. Shout out to them. Uh, that was a great experience. Um, I didn't, uh, in my mind, experience racism there. I had like, I had, well, a student said to me that I was the first real black person in the town because there was a student um, who had a black dad, but the dad didn't live in the town. So that was kind of an off-putting comment. But I wasn't, I mean, I was what, 22 student teaching. I wasn't necessarily offended by it. I was just like, that student was literally stating like, this is like the first time they've been really around a person that looked like me. So I, it was, I, and then I had like no issues there. So it was a great experience. But now uh, uh, being in my 15 year of my career, having um, some kind of battle wounds, dealing with situations, I feel like I'm good. And, but I, I was conflicted, right? Because the 14 years I've worked in urban education, I was telling my therapist, I'm like, I just... I think I could go back to the suburbs. I really think I could. And I said, and there, and when I worked in Brownsburg, even though my article was critical, there was some great stuff. I had resources. I had a nice clean room. Like the building I was at was a brand new building. Other schools I worked in, I've literally watched the ceiling tiles fall in from mold. I one school I was in, my doctor was convinced that my allergy issues and the issues I was having because my asthma flared back up and it hadn't been an issue for years. She really thought it was my school environment because of the fact that when I was at home from the summer, it all went away. And so I worked in schools where I felt like they weren't clean. They weren't safe. They were old. And in the suburbs, I was in this nice building. I had resources. Now, my salary wasn't the best. I will say that, although I've been told by some of the people that have been trying to recruit me, it's like, oh, no, our salaries are better now. I think and and, and, it's, and some of it's admin work. Right. Um, so they're like, no, you would be uh, decently compensated. I don't think that would be an issue. Um, but I told my therapist, I said, I feel like I would be. Like not being true to myself, I'll be walking away from these these kids, like kids that look like me. But then I also had the opportunity to talk to black educators who worked in the suburbs for a while. And what all of them said is that they need us in the suburbs because the suburbs aren't all white. You know, there are kids of color and then the white kids in the suburbs need to have meaningful experiences with people that don't look like them. Because you think about it, kids spend a lot of their times in schools. And if they are around, you know, black people and they see like, oh, they're just regular people like my mom and dad, that will shift their perspective to based on whatever's shown in the media. So um, there are some schools that reached out to me. I'm um, serious um, inquiries. They're not and, and the schools are like, this is not fluff. Like we really will have an opening. We want you to consider it. And um, I'm thinking about it, uh, to be honest. Um, I and I know earlier I said I'm thriving at my job, but the one thing I'm not thriving in is my salary. And I've been pretty um, public about that. And to be and honestly, first of all, people always get like all kind of shook up when you talk about salaries. But if you're an educator, our salaries are public. If you go to the um, IFI Gateway, I think that's what it's called, the website's called. You can look up any educator's salary. So this is public information, right? So when people get all like, don't talk about your salary, 
The year before I became an administrator, I was an elementary librarian on a 10 month contract. And this is honest information. If you, if you want to dig, you can, you can see I'm not I'm lying. I shifted to a 12 month contract and the increase of my salary was six hundred dollars. That was the difference. And the and I was at the max for the role. Right. I was at the max. And I and, and even though my team is small, I do pretty much a lot of, of the same work that you would do if you were an assistant principal. And I'm doing twice as much work as I was doing as almost three times as much work I was doing as an elementary librarian. Because when I was an elementary librarian, I was considered a specialist. So I didn't even have to do grades because my uh, my special wasn't graded. I didn't even have to take attendance. I took attendance, but I didn't have to take it. There were a lot of stuff I didn't have to do. I didn't even actually even have to do lesson plans. Um, and the way the other people did it, I did lesson plan because that's just who I am as an educator. So to go to that, and, I, and, and when I brought up my salary, they were like, well, this is the most we can do. So I, I made a pros and cons list before I left my job. And, I, and the only real con for my job was the salary. So I said, after my three rounds of interviews, I said to my principal, I said, I will give you guys two school years. And the reason I said two is because my I have five licenses. I have an um, English language arts license, which is five through 12, a P through 12 library media license, a P through 12 ENL license, and a P through 12 reading license. And then I have my admin license, my Instructional licenses are professionalized. So I don't have to renew that license until every 10 years. And side note, there are so many educators in Indiana that don't realize you can professionalize your license. After you move from your initial license to your five-year license, if you have a master's degree and you turn it into IDOE, you can professionalize your license and renew it only every 10 years instead of every five. And actually, most of the teachers on my team did not know that. And so all the teachers on my team that had master's, I had them professionalize their license this school year. I'm like, well, I do it every five and you do it every 10. So they're like, I didn't even know that. I made a whole little video to show them how to go to the IDOE portal to, to do it. Uh, so that's so side note. I find that people just don't know that information. But my admin license is the initial license, which is two years. And how that license works is you can renew it three times. Um, and after that, you have to do more course coursework. And I had already renewed my admin license once. So now I'm down to four years. And so now I, I, I renewed it again. And so I said, I'll do the two years and then I can move on to my permanent license. And so I, so I wanted to stay at one school for that initial trial because it's kind of like your internship, per se. You can kind of stay like that. Um, it's not an internship, but it's kind of like your, your like trial admin, whatever. So I said that up front, like before I like signed my contract. So my principal's already given me a reference letter. Um, it's a really nice one. And she has no ill will whether I return next school year or go somewhere else. But I told my principal, if I leave this school year, it will not be because of any of the stuff that's happened to me. It will solely be because I deserve to make more than the teacher's salary. Because had I stayed in my previous school district, the, and, they, and they did raise my salary, I will say this, they raised my salary. Um, they raised my salary five grand. I'll be honest about that. They raised my salary five grand from last school year to this school year. And when I told my um, husband that, he said, but that was probably the salary bare minimum they should have gave you when you showed up. And he said, are, are you just going to keep taking pennies? Now, granted, <laughs> it's easier for my husband to say this because he works in technology, right? And he can go and negotiate his salary, right? And yes, I work at a charter school right now, but that negotiation at charter schools is not as negotiable as you think, right? Um, yeah. 
So that I will say, and, I, and when I was in traditional public schools, I always paid into the union. And part of the reason I paid into the union because of collective bargaining and make sure you got paid somewhat decently. Right. Because if you if you do go and look up people's salaries that work at charter school, you'll see a lot of them are not making very much at all. So I said to my I told my principal, I said, if I choose to leave, it's because I if, if I'm going to do admin work and this level of admin work, I want admin pay. And, and I don't think that's being selfish because at the end of the day, I just said educators need to take care of themselves and we can't always put everyone else first. When am I going to put Jeremiah and James first? Those are my kids. I want to do stuff with my kids. I want to take them places and doing things like that costs some money. Um, so I've been very honest about that. Um, I've been honest with my team about that. It's not even a secret. And, and also that came back to bite me because uh, someone actually reported <laughs> to my principal that Shantae may not come back next school year. And 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 that's a problem. And I, I give my principal props on this. Uh, she's like, yeah, Shantae said that when she's hired, that's that's common knowledge. So I, I appreciate my principal was like, I'm not even going to dignify this with a response because clearly you just coming up here trying to come up with something today. Um, it's But no one's um, seeing it negatively and no one on my team was upset about it. And so when I look towards 2021 is really deciding if I want to switch jobs or stay. And for me. Honestly, it would just be easier to stay at my job. I have a uh, a great team. Um, I I have procedures and routines that are in place. I know like the structures because every time you switch job, you gotta learn a new district, the new admin, the new procedures. You know the rules that are unwritten that they don't really tell you up front. You gotta figure out, and so it would be easier to stay. So for me, and I told my principal, I said if I leave, it really has to be something that's going to in, in, intrigue me. And keep me and uh, make me feel like I'm going to do a di make a difference. And I'm also open um, to not doing admin. Um, I, I love being a librarian. I'm open to doing that again. And I love coaching teachers. So those are like the three. And I love being an English as a new language teacher. I think the one thing I probably would not go back and do um, is teach English language arts. I've done that for the majority of my career. And I loved it. Like that was good. It was great. I just don't think I would do that um, right now, but I'm also not against that. Like I'm, I'm open to what's going to be good and what's going to work well for my family. So that's uh, one of the things I'm debating in 2021. I'm looking towards in 2021. Another thing I'm looking towards in 2021 is thinking about how I'm going um, to be uh, more present in my children's lives. During the pandemic, I really gotten to be closer to my children and get and really gotten to know them better. And I want that to continue. So it's important to me once, you know, the vaccine is out there, hopefully the numbers will drop down. Um, but I know some of y'all trying to gather for Christmas and the holidays. Don't do that. Um, so hopefully the numbers will go down and we'll start shifting back to normal. And when that happens, what I don't want to get lost is the time that I spent with my kids, the time getting to know them. Like one of the things that I'm doing with my kids is playing Minecraft. And I will be, um, I will be uh, hard pressed to say that uh, I'm not good at it right now. <laughs> I created a realm because I, I, I'm just really afraid of my kids like being on the internet talking to other people that don't live in this house. So our family has a realm. So like my husband and I and my kids were in this Minecraft uh, realm together. And 
I had to figure out how to use the controls and walk. I did that. And we were in what you call it creative mode, where I guess you can't die or whatnot, I think. Um, so I learned how to fly in creative mode. And then my kids are like, mom, let's switch to this other realm and do survival mode. So we left the creative mode realm, went into survival mode uh, uh, realm. And I get in and they show me how to kill an animal. So I do that. And then two seconds later, I'm dead. So after that, my kids are like, follow us to our house. They have built this house. So I, it took me forever to follow them. because I had to keep coming back and I kept getting lost. So I finally get into the house and they said, yeah, stay in there so you don't get killed again. So currently in Minecraft, I am in my kid's house that they built in a bedroom, uh, much like I am right now because I am on uh, medical leave. Uh, but I want to not lose those experiences playing like this game with my kids. I'm talking to my kids. I'm really learning about my one son, how important art was to him and how he felt like I wasn't taking his creativity seriously. And I kind of really hurt my feelings because uh, in our house, there's artwork that I have drawn that's hung up in our house. And that was something my parents took seriously. They didn't think I was going to necessarily grow up and be an artist, but they let me draw and do art all the time. And it let me post my stuff all over the house. So one of the things I did during the pandemic is when we finally got their because we didn't get their stuff from their classroom in third grade until like a few weeks into the fourth grade school year because they didn't let us come get it. But he got his artwork back and there was this picture of this dog and I framed it and I actually had it blown up and framed in our house underneath my artwork. And I reached out to his art teacher to get um, recommendations for classes that he could take or just things that he could do to improve his art and his drawing. So, I mean, I'm talking about my kid falls asleep. He writes and he draws. So he falls asleep with a flashlight and a notebook. Um, he thinks I don't know this, but I know. Um, and my other son, Reese, he doesn't actually like to draw. Um, but just really having that time to, to know what my kids are reading, spending time with them. We built a garden because I moved um, last year, um, October 2019. We only moved over four streets because it was important that we stayed at the same elementary school. And it took us two years to find a house. And it wasn't so much about the elementary school boundary. It's because Jermaine and I, my husband and I, we can't agree on nothing. And, and he was just being difficult, y'all. We would go to these houses and like we would roll up and he's like, I don't like how it look. And he wouldn't even get out of the vehicle. I'm like, you really not going to get out? So uh, God bless our realtor that had to deal with us and our foolishness <laughs> because they were really would like this. But the house we currently lived in was the only house that was in the boundary that we both liked. So after two years, we moved. But I am an avid gardener. You can follow my blog at gardenershakol.com. And... I couldn't take on my gardening stuff with us. So I had a garden garden way before my kids were born. So during the pandemic, we built this new garden together. So that was great. And I see that Toya is here and she asked me a question. She says, librarian schools still have that. Um, some schools in Indy do um, and some schools don't. Um, some schools in Indy, they have um, librarians that are like for the districts. So they go to different schools. Or some schools have a librarian in the district and then they have librarian assistants who man the libraries and then the librarian comes around and some schools actually have a librarian. So in Indianapolis, it depends on the school. Um, I will say in my particular school um, and because and people always ask me, I'm in a school where my kids could go. Uh, and they said, uh, are your kids going to go to your school? And I said, no, my school does not have a library. And my school, my kids will not go to school without a library. Like my kids, I kid you not. This is true. 
when they were in second grade in the same class together, which is part of the reason we had to end up splitting them back up again. And there were some other stuff. And they didn't get into this gifted program, which you want to read all about that. I wrote about, I mentioned that earlier. I wrote about this. You can read about the logistics on that. My kids got into fights twice during that school year when they're in the same class. Both of the fights was with each other and both of the fights was over a library book. So when I tell you my kids take reading seriously, it's like on another level. My kids read unprompted. They read at night. They get up in the morning to read. If their house is quiet and I can't find my kids, um, trust and believe if they're not on Minecraft, <laughs> they are reading. Um, so that is something that is, um, I mean, goodness, their mom was an English teacher. What did you expect? <laughs> I'm sure there's some English teachers out there who appear that have kids that don't read. So I don't, so I don't want to make that as a blanket claim, but I will say literacy is an important part um, in um, our lives. And my husband reads, he reads comics. And I mentioned this because my kids also read graphic novels. And if you're out there thinking that kids shouldn't read graphic novels or comics, they should let kids read what they want. Um, honestly. Um, so that's uh, what's important to me. But I, I, I want to kind of bring this to a close. So one of the things I'm thinking about for 2021 is, as I said, um, figuring out what's next for me in my career, um, spending time with my kids and figuring out this new normal for myself. I'm actually so glad I had this hysterectomy done because I was worse than I, than I knew. Um, when I came out of the surgery, the next day, my, uh, doctor talked to me and she took photographs and, and the other procedure I've had, she's taken photographs. So I've seen like my body change over the years, but what was interesting enough, and I will not show you cause I showed, I showed my mother the pictures and she slammed the photo shut and she said, Ew! like she just like, she like this. So that telling me they're too gross and too graphic. <laughs> but it was my uterus and my fallopian tube. She took a picture of that. My right fallopian tube was twisted and wrapped around the bottom of my uterus. Um, so, and I have been having pain on my right side on and off um, during, um, over probably like the last 10 years, right? And so my doctor, and it was my right fallopian tube. Um, and on top of that, not only did I have that big fibroid that I mentioned to you guys earlier in this uh, podcast, but she said I had a collection of fibroids. And of course, the, the good old endometriosis was, you know, live and thriving. Um, so it was really good that I had this stuff removed. So I'm like, take that faulty equipment, get rid of it. But every morning for, I can't even tell y'all how long, like, gosh, over a decade, I've gotten up and take taking medication every single day in the morning to the point of if we went on a trip, I would check my purse three times to make sure I had my medication with me. Because if I got somewhere and we were out of town without my medication, I would be miserable to, and I had my surgery on December the 8th. So to be able to get up in the morning and not have to take medication. And as you guys know, for those wonderful commercials, medications always have side effects. To not have to take that and not be in pain, I don't even really know how to explain that to y'all. Like, I, I feel free. Like, I feel like shackles have been released. I feel like I can just go and do. I feel like I don't have to, because, like, my husband is the real, like, uh, MVP, like, for real. Because what people don't see when you live with someone who deals with chronic pain or they have ish health issues what you don't see is that spouse picking up the slack. 
whether it's taking care of the children, taking care of stuff. I mean, and, and my husband will tell you there were times when I was in uh, crippling pain where he's literally had to pick me up, put me in a car and take me to the emergency room during our marriage. And for me, even though my doctor told me, because I said, you know, when she was saying, you know, when we started talking about the hysterectomy, I said, I really want to do this for Jermaine. And she said, no, well, she cut me off. And she's like, you can't do this for him. And I was saying, but you don't know all the stuff that he had to do. And she said, but you, you have lived this. So if I'm going to do this procedure, you're doing it for yourself. So I do agree with my doctor. She checked me. Uh, you do need to do things for yourself. But I also have to acknowledge that it's been tough on my husband. And then when we had kids, it's been tough on my kids when they wanted me to go play. And I've just been in crippling pain. Um, so for me, I'm looking forward to what life is going to be like without taking medication every single day, not dealing with the side effects of the medication because the medication on top of that, I had to keep a pretty rigid diet to eat because eating at a certain schedule kept me from feeling some of the uh, gastrointestinal side effects of the medication. So be able to like, I kid y'all not one day, like earlier, well, last week I got up in the morning and I just ate some chocolate chip cookies and some macaroni and cheese. And why just and don't even ask me why I ate those two things together. That's just what was available in the house. But why this matters is because because of the medication I had to take, I ate on a schedule. So I just didn't really ever go randomly eat. So to be able to do something as little as go randomly eat, um, that was important and that mattered uh, to me. Um, the other thing I'm looking forward to in 2021 is um, starting my uh, research that will turn into my dissertation. Uh, my uh, tentative end date to complete my um, doctoral program is 2024. <laughs> so hopefully I will. I, and I will say, honestly, so far, because you have to do your plan of study and plan on your classes. So far, I've been literally trucking right along. Um, on my plan. This hasn't been any uh, setbacks on that. So I'm just looking forward to getting out in the field. Um, uh, if you're wondering what I'm researching, I'm my uh, focus is on STEM literacy. Um, even though I am a huge literacy person, I love STEM. I was on the board of the STEM Connection here locally for three years. So, um, and my kids have participated in the STEM Connection programming since they were four and they're nine now. So that's five years. So I, and I worked at the math and science Academy. So I, and that's really where I grew my love of STEM because I actually coached a science uh, Olympiad team. And that's where I'm like, Ooh, I really like this stuff. Um, but it's more than liking it. It's more like learning about it and learning how, um, well, I was really want to get into like the literacy, especially around black children, um, especially around children that are, who are in poverty. So that's going to be some of what my research is about. But I'm just excited to be able to get out in the field and collect data. But the other thing I'm looking for um, um, towards is managing my anxiety um, and continue to manage it because I feel like my therapist is great and we're putting tools into place. And she's giving me assignments and things to think about because a therapist is not there to fix your problems. They're there to guide you and help you do the work. And I, and I have a great uh, black female therapist and also representation matters uh, when it comes to black uh, to a black therapist. Because I will tell you, this is my second time being in therapy. The first time I was in therapy was when I was doing my infertility treatments. And what was funny, I kid you not, my husband said uh, he would not go to therapy unless I found a black therapist that specialized in infertility. I found one. 
<laughs> so we went to therapy and it was great, but it was just so nice because there's like, we talked about the stigma in the black community around infertility treatments. There were people in our, um, people that we knew that did not like that we did infertility treatments. They said that we should pray harder. Um, and we, and we had, I mean, we had, we had people pray over us, all that stuff. And I'm, I, I believe in God. I believe in the power of prayer, but I also believe that science works and you also should uh, trust science. Um, so it was just nice to not have a white therapist in that situation, because sometimes when you're dealing with things that's cultural, you spend a lot of time trying to explain the cultural piece to the person instead of actually working through the issues. So it was nice to have a black therapist that understood some of the stigmas in the black community about it to help us kind of work through that. And so for me, when I knew at this point that I was not managing well and I knew that I needed to get a therapist, it was important to me to get a therapist that looked like me because I didn't want to have to explain something. For example, when I talk about some of the things that happened at work, I didn't want to explain like how this affects me and my job like or how this looks like or what the lens looks like for a black person. I wanted to just state it, you kind of understand it, and then we kind of work through it. So that's it's been great. So um, I'm I, first, I just want to say for those of you that uh, find me, my quirky little self, interesting, and you have followed me, you have supported me, you've connected me to research um, resources and um, and different research that you've come across. Because I love those of you that send me research articles because I love to read. I actually read every single day and write every single day, believe it or not. You probably believe that I write all the time. <laughs> but I don't publish everything I write. A good writer knows that some stuff should stay in your journal or stay in your Google Docs. Um, but uh Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, if I said anything um, that helped you, um, that's why I'm here. Um, I, I don't think sometimes I have imposter syndrome. I'm like, why me? Why are you listening to me? Why are you following me? Why are you reading what I write? Um, but those of you that uh, that remind me that I do add value um, to the education community, that I am adding value to your lives. I thank you and I appreciate you. And for all of and some of you that I don't even know that well, those of you that have sent me cards as I've been recovering, because I don't go back to work until after um, MLK Day. Um, I really have been taking it easy. I appreciate it to those of you that um, sent sent um, gift cards to me um, just so we could door dash some food. I really appreciate that because um I'm the cook in the house <laughs> and I'm not knocking Mr. Barnes. He he's, he's doing his best, but it's also nice just to have a meal that you can uh, trust <laughs> that will be tasty, <laughs> but he's, he's doing his best. So those of you that, um, and, and then um, those of you that donated money to me to get masks for my students at my school, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you so much because you did not have to do that. Um, so, you know what? We only have a we have what ten more days left, and also tonight, get outside. You're supposed to be able to see the planets. Um, um, NASA even put out a guide. I think I posted on my Facebook page, so I'm gonna try to get outside with my sons because we're really into stuff like that. Um, but I just want to thank you guys because um, when you wrap up a year, you want to make sure you um, leave it with gratitude. And this year was tough. This year was hard. But I'm glad that I 
took care of my physical health. I'm glad I'm taking care of my mental health and I'm glad to be connected to all of you. So please stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, um, tell your loved ones that you love them. If someone's done something for you, tell them and let them know. And um, Brazen Education, this podcast will be back January 2021. You can also see me at the Indie Recorder Ed Gems. My next episode will be um, talking to black parents who have students in the suburbs. And then you can see me tomorrow if you're like, man, Shante, I still want to talk to you. Uh, you can see me tomorrow um, uh, on NDK's 12 Facebook page or on uh, my Facebook page. I'll share it on my Facebook page before tomorrow. Um, you can catch me on the Recess Podcast. And uh, we're going to be lively because uh, when Andrew, David, and I get together, we're pretty lively. And uh, sometimes I have guests on Raising Education, but today I just wanted to talk uh, to you guys. Uh, so look forward to next year. I'm going to have some different guests, try to do some different things. And if you're interested, if you watch me and you're interested in uh, being a guest, let me know because I would uh, love to talk to you. Uh, so enjoy the holiday season. Enjoy the rest of this year and uh, relax and take care of yourself. See you guys.